I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Xu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hey friends, welcome to another episode. And if you are brand new to our show, which we figured welcome. a lot of you are, welcome <laughs> to Dateable. This may be one of your first episodes. You'll get used to these voices sooner or later, but maybe we still sound new and novel to you. You are here for dating. Yeah, you're in the right place. If you're here uh, for anything else, <laughs> you may not be in the right place. No, you're yeah. totally in the right place. <laughs> well, if you're we do if, it all. You truly, yeah. <laughs> if you're truly here for cooking tips, maybe not the right place. True. I don't know. Maybe someday, someday we'll get there. Uh, but it's so great to connect with you all. And if you haven't yet, if you're new to our show, join our Facebook group, Love in the Time of Corona. As you can tell, that dates us back to 2020. <laughs> it might be time to finally make the change. Just saying. Maybe. Just saying. Okay, Maybe. Okay. We'll see. Maybe we'll just be like Coke you know, or Pepsi. Just like you just keep your branding. So people could forever remember the <laughs> pandemic. I'm sure that's what everyone yeah, wants. Yeah, maybe not. Uh-huh. Maybe not. But you could be love in the time of Corona beers. <laughs> there we go. 
Easy fix. Let's do it. (laughs) One day we will change this title. Or at Dateable Podcast is our Instagram. So yeah, we are really excited for this week's episode. Some of you may have heard of us actually on our guest podcasts for today. So we're really excited to be joined with Meredith Goldstein, who is the host of the Boston Globe Love Letters. And fun fact, because I'm from a Boston originally, when I was first telling my mom about, you know, what we were doing over at Datable, she found the Boston Globe podcast, because it's based off of a column from the Boston Globe. And my mom sent me this clipping and was like, is this what you're doing? I'm like, kind (laughs) of. (laughs) So it kind of came full circle to talk to Meredith in the flesh on our podcast. Is she kind of like Carrie Bradshaw for Boston? Similar? I would say not as, it's not as like risque, I don't think. It's not as sex focused. You know, I don't think she needs to like hide her name like Candace Bushnell <laughs> did. <laughs> but yes, I would say high level, you know, it's an advice column that people write into, want to get advice about their love life. I guess in Sex in the City, people weren't like writing in as much. It was more her reporting on That's hot true. takes of what was going on. But That's Meredith, true. if you want to be Carrie Bradshaw, we're all for it. <laughs> I've been actually binging on Sex in the City because it's their 25 year anniversary. And I know that some of the episodes are so outdated and actually so fucking inappropriate for oh today. Oh my God, yes. Uh, but most of it, I would say, is still really relevant. And I'm. I'm just really upset that there's no other show like this. Each episode really touches upon what we're all thinking inside. You know, like last night I watched one that was about how honest should you be with your partner? What if you're so honest it hurts your partner? Like the questions like that are still relevant to today. So every day I have this passing thought is, should we get Candace Bushnell back on our podcast? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, we should definitely (laughs) do it. We did have her, how many years ago now? It was a while ago. It's been like six, six years. Yeah, it was when she was promoting her new book, Is There Still Sex in the City? So we'll have to find the angle. But, you know, the new Sex in the City, I don't think she's affiliated with it, though, is coming back. Just like that. Just like that. I like that show. Really? I'm very mixed on it. I I feel like they should have quit while they're ahead. Okay, we have differing opinions. This is good. Yes. (laughs) I like the show because there is no happily ever after. I like that it showed that, yeah, she ended up with Big, but then still shit happened. Like, Big fucking dies. (laughs) And then now she has to reinvent herself. But that's the, that's life, right? We can't just be like, oh my gosh, she should be with Aiden or she should be with Big. That is not the ultimate life decision. The life decision is whoever she chooses, how is she going to learn to love them and create a love together? And I think in this, in this season or in this new show, it's kind of like, okay, you got to reinvent yourself now they're all in their mm-hmm. 50s and yeah. this is like a second second chance at love like what's gonna happen that's great i'm really curious what next season will bring but i'm Aiden. with you yeah exactly i'm with you on i feel like sex of the city and younger those are my two oh, binge I shows younger. i love it it's also darren star if you haven't caught that one yet i feel like that one is a hidden treasure that a lot of people don't know about it's definitely not as mainstream as sex of the city but i also pretty much yearly will do a binge of sex of the city from start to finish and I think money, you know, the topic of today is something that has been front and center in dating 
from that show, and it still persists today. And over time, it's changed a bit, but I'm really excited that we get into this topic because with Meredith too, it's less about just like, you know, how do you handle money and relationships is more just the overarching theme of money is present in every relationship. Even mm-hmm. when it's not necessarily a problem, it's just something that's so ingrained in our lives. And when you bring two people together with differing backgrounds or views on money or what they spend money on, it's something you need to deal with. <laughs> right. Because most of us don't even know our own relationship to money. Yeah. And sometimes the only way to know your own relationship is through comparison of seeing how other people relate to money. And I know this is a topic that's always been sensitive and awkward for all of my relationships because like one is at what point should you bring up money? Mm-hmm. And then how do you bring up joint money behaviors? It's hard, right? And it gets a little bit awkward. Also for, for my family that's never really openly talked about money, it's mm-hmm. h- harder for me to even bring that up. It just always felt like, you know, the money, your money is your own thing. I don't need to know about it. My money is my own yeah. thing. We don't need to talk about it. But when you have a life together, you can't avoid it. There is like this weird stigma just in life that you don't talk to your friends about how much you earn yeah. or money in general. Like it comes off as, you know, bragging or even just like when people talk about investments and stuff, it just, I think it's starting to break down because I do feel like I'm having more of these conversations with my girlfriends too. And I actually think that's like a really powerful moment that women are having that we are becoming like much more financially literate. That's been so historically, Mm -hmm. you know, that hasn't been the case as much. And it's really, I think, empowering to hear when my friends are making big purchases or investing in a certain way. But there is still like this backlash of, you know, weirdness that comes from it that makes people including myself like resistant to talk about it. Because it's hand in hand with validation, right? Like these conversations can always leave you feeling like, oh, I'm so far behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. I really should be doing more with my money. Or I really should be making more money. It's always like that more, more. And I under I totally understand that because my cold coworkers and I were very open with how much we were making. The men were definitely making more than me. And it didn't make me feel good to know that. But I guess... It should be an empowering fact for me to renegotiate my salary. I know. I'm very mixed about how, you know, a lot of companies are going to have public ranges now to show salaries. And I think it's really great so people aren't being underpaid. But I also feel like it's going to open a can of worms when you feel like your coworker. I'm afraid it's going to make people kind of resentful of each other. Like, oh, are they working enough to earn X? You know, like that stuff that just doesn't happen today. Can we just talk about this open salary range thing? for a sec. I saw a job posting that listed a salary range of 48000 to 420000 That was the fucking range. Well, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do now. If they're just trying to trick everyone to apply. Yeah. But if you're in a similar position at that company, <laughs> they're 
there's no way you're going to be happy with any of that. You know, that is a crazy ass range. I mean, that's the problem, too, is I agree. They're just going to give these crazy ranges. So it kind of like kind of checks the box that they're being transparent. That's like the other fear, because I know like from past jobs, like there's very wide ranges that can be in the same quote unquote level. Yeah. I was looking up, though, you know, I mean, this is no surprise to anyone, but like reasons for divorce, clearly just general incompatibility, infidelity, and then money. And one of the reasons, though, for money that was interesting was it, I mean, some of it's just clearly like mismanagement and misspending, but most of it was around communication of money, just not being Mm. able to talk about it. And that kind of goes to what we're talking about is that because it's not something that people feel comfortable talking about when there are issues. And as we know from all relationship challenges, when you don't talk about something, it only makes it worse. Yeah, because in relationships, people treat money as very binary. It's like either you make money or you don't, right? But what we don't talk about in relationships is if you're not the breadwinner in the relationship, how else do you contribute, which is also measurable. But we think like, oh, if you're the one making more money you're the more successful one. That's not necessarily the case. And I hope that our conversations, I know me, for example, I really want to take this into all of my relationships is that we can talk about contribution more holistically mm-hmm. and not just the the money that you bring to the table. Well, just the number of salary earning is such a minimal part of the whole equation. Yes. You know, it's, it, it is therefore where we get focused on, you know, like even in early dating, we're like, oh, what's their job? Because because that's a proxy for how much money they're going to earn. And right. we've been told for years. And I remember even like when we talked to Paul Eastwick from the UC Berkeley Attraction Lab, really great episode for anyone new. That was one of our most popular episodes to date of the science of attraction. And we all hold on to these, you know, the cultural attractive traits and money is definitely one of them historically for hetero women to hetero men. But I think across the board, there is a weight that comes with someone that makes a lot of money. It's just been something that's drilled into us by culture and society for so many years. Mm, well, we can't unravel all of that in one episode, but at least we can openly <laughs> talk about it. It's a step number one is to be open about this topic. Yes, more money episodes to follow. <laughs> and this will be some food for thought for all of you. Maybe you can bring this conversation to your next date or to your next brunch with your friends. Great. So yeah, before we get into it with Meredith, quick announcements. Exit Interview is our other podcast. We're going to give another shout out for all the new listeners too. If you're really digging Dateable, guess what? There's more. There's a whole other podcast. I'm going to give a shout out to Lou, who is my cleaner that we also had as a past guest. <laughs> we love Lou. That you ain't knows as well. He tells me every time how much he is binging Dateable. This is like, you know, because he drives a lot and stuff and this is helpful. And the other day, I have, he's actually like taking a break just like with a medical leave right now. And he's like, I need some stuff to do during this downtime. And I'm like, you know, we have another podcast, right? And he's like, of course, I know you have another podcast. 
podcast, but I'm just saying for everyone that doesn't know, that's a shout out to Lou, a super listener. Love it. But if you can be a super listener too, if you get on board with Exit Interview. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave us a rating and review there and at Datable Newbies. We really value your rating and review. We're almost at a perfect 5-0 with Exit Interview. We had one that came in about ads that knocked us off. So help us bring that back up. We'll give you bonus points if you leave us a rating review on both. And then in your review for Datable, you mention Exit Interview. Ooh, Ooh, we'll give you a major shout out. Yes, we'll give you a major shout out. See if you can do a little cross promo on your review. I mean, honestly, reading these reviews really, it keeps us going too. Like beyond just the value it adds to just how we rank in podcast algorithms and just getting good guests because they're like, oh, this is reputable. We got a review the other day talking about how this podcast helped uh, this listener find her person because it Mm -hmm. had her stop asking questions like, do you like hiking? And started (laughs) asking more insightful questions that would give her line of sight into, is this person someone that's a good partner for me? Are they ready for a relationship? Are they ready for the type of relationship I want? So it helped her find someone and weed in and out people and figure out who to invest in. And ultimately, that's what we're all about. We're helping you be more intentional in your love lives. So hearing that and hearing someone that, you know, found success and love that just warms our hearts. And this is what keeps us going. <laughs> a thousand percent. Yes. Okay. At Datable Podcast, love in the time of Corona. That's our Facebook group. We set it up top. And yeah, I think that's it. Before we keep going, we'll just take a minute for a message from our sponsors. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. The reviews are in. Honey Love came out on top for best wedding day shapewear. With wedding season upon us, this is the ad you've been waiting for. Whether you are a bride, a guest, or looking for an everyday fit, Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. Their best-selling superpower shorts are my favorite. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. We have an exclusive offer for all of our listeners. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash dateable. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC. THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to 
viahemp.com and use a code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Okay, let's hear it from Meredith. Money, 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 money. That's all I can think about when I think about today's topic is that song. (laughs) Meredith is an advice columnist for Love Letters in the Boston Globe. It's a dispatch of advice for the love lorn, which has turned into a podcast called the same, Love Letters. And she is with us today to talk about what the season's topic is, which is money and finances, especially with love and money coming in hand in hand. So who is Meredith? This is where you get to sit back and just listen to us talk about all your stats. She is 45 years old, lives in Boston, has been there for the last 20 years, originally from Maryland, and she's in a monogamous relationship. Her social security number is, just kidding. Like, I swear, this is like, what else do you know about me? What else? Yeah, that's all true. I have loved listening to your podcast, partly because because by day I'm an advice columnist, right? And do this podcast about people's love lives. But I also, up until fairly recently, have not been a big dater and also haven't been trying very hard. (laughs) So I tend to give a lot of love advice and tell people to get out there and talk to people about their experiences. But fundamentally, I had been very Mm. lazy about that part of my life for a long time. So it's just interesting now to be in a relationship, but also to just hear your perspectives about the process because I have always approached it more as a journalist and Mm. as an advice giver. And then when you experience something more firsthand, especially at my age, you're like, oh yeah, right. Okay. This is... (laughs) Sometimes it's a do as I say, not as I do Uh, (laughs) kind of advice giving situation. Very relatable. (laughs) So as a journalist, though, I'm curious, like, what made you so interested in the money topic as it relates to love? So every season we have people come on and tell these very personal stories about their love lives, whether it's a breakup or meeting somebody. Mm -hmm. And we theme the season. So the first was breakups. The second was how to meet someone. We've had seasons about age and what we learn at different ages. And what occurred to me over a few years now is every episode is actually about money. Like it's about the thing it's about. Mm. But there's this thing in the background where money plays a role in the experiences of everyone. So one of my favorite episodes, you know, from a few years ago was about a woman whose husband looked at her and said, I'm turning 40 years old. And the thing I need to be happy is I need to put a ball pit in our basement. What? Not for our children, but for me. I know you're looking at me like that's weird. And it is. (laughs) So the whole episode was about weird things that happen in relationships and what self-care looks like. But the truth of the matter is it was about this guy wants to spend thousands of dollars on a ball pit. (laughs) Also, we recently had an episode in our last season. It was the most romantic story about two people in their 80s who fall in love. Mm -hmm. Well, they could do that because they could afford to fly to each Mm -hmm. other. Mm. So sometimes money makes dating so much easier because it makes it easier to get around. And sometimes it makes a breakup that much harder because you can't like go out and pay to get 
really cool bangs. So it's just like, it's always there. So I said, let's call it what it is and do our next season all about money. So there are breakup stories and there are marriage stories and there are dating stories, but they're all through the lens of how did your financial situation, financial upbringing and your perspective of money change what happened to you. Mm. It's fascinating. I thought the through line would be more about how do you discuss finances in relationship, but I'm hearing that money is just a through line in all of dating because it offers you the lack of or more accessibility into the resources to connect better with someone, or at least that's kind of like the blocker that many people have is that could be an excuse, right? Yeah, and I do think you're right. I think after every episode, I say, wow, if only this person could talk about this more easily. So for single people dating at, you know, a cost of doing this, our first episode of this season, which I thought was just such a good way to kick it off, is about two people who are married. One is really good with money. The other turns out to have $35,000 about roughly in secret credit card debt. Yeah. So you can imagine when the spouse finds out <laughs> they are not thrilled. So how do you talk about that? So that is a piece of that, right? What is financial infidelity? Can you forgive it? So I do think communication is a big theme. Even people talking to themselves, what I found really interesting is everybody we interview, I've said, well, what kind of upbringing did you have with money? Did your family talk about money? Mm -hmm. Some people know every cent of what they had. Often those people come from single parent households, mm. like I was, where you kind of just get the vibes of what's going on. A lot of people realized as adults that they had more or less money than they thought growing up. Like they thought they were just getting by, but in retrospect, their parents just saved a lot. So it's fascinating also to see what we carry with us from the way we're raised. So take us through that. Okay, so you said that you had your own experience with how you were raised with money. Like, how do you see that now playing into your love life and your relationship? Well, my sister and I, our late mother was wonderful with money and she was a single parent piano teacher and she would leave little notes around the house of math, figuring out how as a piano teacher, she could keep us in the house she bought when she was married so we could stay in the good public school system. So and it was actually really cool that I was like, my mom does this on her own and she's thrifty, but she's smart about money and she comes up with cool ways to give us experiences and she prioritizes things like music. So my sister and I, though, we just spent a lot on ourselves. We sort of, I think, in response to that, we were like, you know what, we're going to buy this, we're going to buy that. And I think both of us had to quickly learn how to do a budget more like what my mom had done. You know, we just didn't want to have to make sacrifices. And I think we also felt in our 20s, I mean, now we're in our 40s, we were like, we don't have kids, right? This should mean we're rich no matter what we do. And as we know, that's not true. So I think even as an adult, I've been figuring out, well, I'm much better with money now, but what are my priorities? And in a relationship. I don't live with anybody yet. I'm in a relationship with someone I feel serious about. And yeah, we notice things about each other. Well, how do you deal with money? It's a really interesting thing because I think one of the reasons we get along is because we both value experiences and little treats. Mm -hmm. I will never go without taking myself to a nice dinner. I will prioritize that over something else. He really wants to get incredible ingredients to cook. And he is just a real foodie. And that is something he will splurge on. Both of us are not people who would buy really expensive shoes. I'm not somebody who would pick the purse, right? I like to eat a lot, right? So luckily for me, he can cook it. I'll, <laughs> I'll eat it. But these are values that you don't think about right. when you're dating no. that much. But then you do, right? One thing he noticed when we first started dating and, and it was no longer really, everybody was less shut in as vaccines were happening was he said, you know, I noticed that every time you go to a friend's house, you bring something. And part of it was just the celebration of 
oh my gosh, I can go to my friend's house. We've been vaccinated. But I was like, oh yeah, I think that's like a little bit of a Jewish thing. Like, I don't even know. I probably can't. But I was like constantly bringing pastry or like, well, we have to bring something. And it was just something in my family where I was like, you want to go to somebody's house and not bring something? And he was like, no, 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 I want to be polite. I want to bring something. But you will go to Whole Foods and spend $55. It was just, I noticed him noticing me. And it wasn't an attempt to be judgmental. He noticed that I picked up a lot of dinners for people who probably made more money than me. He was like, you know, you're generous and then sometimes not thinking about it. And that's something I noticed that my sister does, too. So I think that's a little bit of a family trait, too, where I'm like, no, let me, let me. And having someone I'm dating point that out was really interesting how to be generous where people accept it. Because I do think that sometimes that I have been generous, people are like, "Ah, I feel uncomfortable with this gift. It's interesting, too, because it's like this line of we're dating and I don't really have the right to tell you how to spend your money and how to do it. Of course. But also, as we're building a relationship together, I can totally see even like your boyfriend making the comment, like, do you need to spend $50 every time we go to someone's house? Because that is like your future that you're building. So how do you like navigate that? Like, how do you navigate this like middle period that it is important to be on the same page, but we're not like a combined like household yet? It's interesting because the way he said it was almost like a friend would. Like, I'm watching this and do whatever you want, but I'm pointing out something I notice and I want to make sure you're caring for yourself. Mm. And I think... The spirit of it always feels better because we share feelings of generosity. Like he loves to cook for his friends and that involves buying ingredients and for his family. And as somebody who does not cook, I'm like that arrested development meme of like, what could a banana cost $10? Like, I don't actually know what produce costs because I so rarely buy actual food. I'm like buying instant oatmeal. So when I see what a beautiful dinner costs to make, I'm like, oh, well that, okay, he's generous too. So it more felt like, oh, We align on a lot of financial values, but it is this interesting thing of like the checking up. It's also very loaded to say like, well, if you had all the money in the world, like what does it look like? For some people that we've interviewed in the podcast, a few people actually, their entire savings and goals revolve around travel. Like they would rather travel than have the beautiful couch, right? And I'm somewhere in the middle where I'm like, I want a pretty comfortable couch. And I also want kind of a nice trip. Or they take the trip and they're like, well, where am I staying? Right. And that's important too. So there are all these ways. It's not as simple as could anybody have a joint bank account, people lying about credit card debt. It's just these simple values of like, what is money for? And there really aren't that many wrong answers because everyone I've interviewed has wildly different priorities. It's just a question of whether there can mesh with somebody else's. And also so many people now start with debt and student loans. And how do you talk about that? And so, you know, hearing that conversation with younger people, too, about the high price of dating and the high price of living in a city, all these cities that are unaffordable, and you're supposed to go out for drinks that are $15. It's like wild to me. What do you think about this values conversation? Because I get that. You want to put your money where your mouth is. So it's nice if both of your mouths are in the same place. (laughs) This just reminds me of these friends of mine. They're a couple. And when they were dating, they both valued going out. They both valued gift giving and going on elaborate trips. And she fell in love with him because of that. And then as soon as they got married, she found out he was $60,000 in debt because he had spent all this money 
dating and trying to please her. So then her values came into question. She's like, well, what do I really value? Because now I have to help him pay down all the debt that he was spending on me. From what you've heard, what is the best way to talk about finances and what you value in a way that's not just in these phases of a relationship? It should be from the get-go. I do think, like, let's normalize talking about stuff early in the same way that we're trying to normalize sharing salary ranges in workplaces Mm -hmm. so that people can be paid the right amount of money for the job that they do and not be paid less than some guy who works nearby, right? Like we're sharing these salaries to help each other make what we're worth and not be paid less. Similarly, if that conversation has become easier, like without thinking about it, I probably brought up some money stuff when I started dating this person because it's a big part of life, what things cost. I think it was also really interesting that when I was interviewing the couple on the first episode of the podcast, I knew they had a story about secret credit card debt. They tell me the number. I think it was $33,000. And I said, oh, I thought it was going to be worse. (sighs) And they say to me, well, that's telling. I was like, I thought you were going to say like 100. And they were like, 33 is also really bad. It's really bad. But 100 is really, really bad, right? But I am someone that was like, especially with the jobs they had, I was like, 33 might not ruin your life. 100 seems like you're treading water. But so those numbers are arbitrary, right? And we don't know if somebody could have just helped them out or whatever. But sometimes we think we're good with money. I actually don't think I'm good with money. But sometimes we think our values will match other people's and they just don't. Mm. So I don't think it's that weird to say, what are your biggest expenses? Like, oh, are you saving up for anything? Like letting people know kind of where you are. I mean, I had my financial guy on a season preview and he always jokes with me that I am someone who has no sense of savings. Like I have retirement 401k stuff and then I have like what's in my checking account. And he always says, you know, Meredith, other people have like a middle and he sort of helps me hide some money for a middle. But I'm not, (laughs) I would tell somebody that like, luckily my tastes are not very extravagant, but he always says, you know, if your tastes were a little bit more extravagant, I would be more worried. So I think it's okay to admit you're having trouble, that you admit you don't really know. I'm not a good spreadsheet girl. But to find out as a surprise is not great. So this is the part that I struggle with, right? It's like, what is the line of being different versus it being a problem? Mm -hmm. Like I'm even thinking about, you know, the debt, right? Like you could have debt, and then you could clear that up. Is that going to be a problem for the long haul? Or is this just mismanagement of money, something that we can't recover from? I always wonder when people meet and make big decisions about the relationship really quickly, how they know <laughs> how to do that. Because I have talked to so many couples and couples on the podcast where it takes a long time for somebody to realize, oh, well, I'm better at this than my partner, or we outsource this. I generally say if it scares you in the beginning, that you can't figure out how to do this, you can always turn to help. It's not a forever problem necessarily. But I do think there are some things that stay with us. Like, again, I'm never going to be someone who will say, you know what, I'm just going to stop eating out to save money. Right, right. That (laughs) happened in 2020. And that was about it. And that was (laughs) forced. And that was another reason, right? So and that shows itself pretty quickly to somebody else. But it is hard to know. And for a lot of people, especially people who understand what's on the line, it might take them that much longer to make certain levels of commitment. Because it is shocking talking to me how many couples I've interviewed that say, well, we're married, but we keep separate checking accounts Mm -hmm. and then we have a shared account. Well, depending on the nature of the contract you signed, it doesn't matter. Like those are arbitrary accounts. 
for the most part, your stuff is shared now. Like if one of you takes on debt, unless, again, you have arranged for it to be different, that is shared debt. And that was the point really of that first episode was this person was saying, yes, the $33,000 is on your credit card, but we are married and it does not matter anymore. It's my (laughs) debt. So you've really got to be sure that you are ready for that. Yeah, that terrifies me. (laughs) I know. I I don't mean to be scary because there are also all these wonderful things I'm learning, which is that like we have an episode with a couple talking about their prenup and it's like the most romantic episode I've ever heard. Oh, yes. It's so weird. We think of prenups as like, oh, well, it's just a pre-negotiation of a way to get out. Well, that's not it at all. And what if the spirit of it was, I want you to show up for me every day because you want to be here. Mm. And if you decide you don't, I'm going to make it really safe for you not to be. It's beautiful what they say about that. And the pleasure of saving together for things. Mm-hmm. And even for so many single people I've talked to, there's a lot of positives to these conversations that I don't want to make it all seem scary. Yeah, well, we're definitely in a different place, right? Because we're no longer marrying for money. A lot of times, I don't want to say everyone. Right. There are people that still are. <laughs> I don't know anybody who is, but I'm sure there are people who are. Yeah, I don't I'm sure there are to know out them. there. But yes, most people in today's world... Because women, you know, make more money in some cases or at the same levels, it's not always that that's what the ulterior motive is anymore. And also with people getting married later and later, then you're bringing a lot that you've earned along the way instead of kind of building this life together, which I think is like a good thing net net that you're getting married, not because of money, but because of love. But how do you kind of navigate that, like, especially if there is a discrepancy? discrepancy between how much you make. Like, how have you seen couples deal with that? Like, I wouldn't want like someone to say like, oh, I shouldn't get married because of money. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting you say that we now just married because of love, which I think oftentimes we do. I hope we do. (laughs) But also, and I hope this doesn't come out sounding cynical, like marriage is a contract. We can be in love and be together forever. So there are a lot of businessy reasons we do this, whether it's for health insurance, whether it is to combine assets, whether it's there are a lot of like really unromantic reasons we do this. And sometimes I wish that people acknowledge that too. Mm -hmm. So you can marry to make your partnership a partnership for real in that way without cynically marrying for money, right? right? There are other reasons. There's sort of that middle ground of, and this is why people move in with each other also. It's like, well, we might as well share these living expenses. I love spending time with you, but also let's share these living expenses. So I think it is part of it. And it's okay to talk about that too. One of, I think the big mistakes of the modern culture we're in is pretending it is only about love. Because as somebody who, like, I've never felt the need to get married, like I could do this forever, right? I think a really good question to ask is, why are you doing it? Is it a tradition thing? Is it a family thing? Is it a commitment showing? Is it to celebrate in front of family and friends? And what are the expectations about the contract you're signing? Because take a good look. It is really interesting how with anything else that's legal, we're like, read it, give it to a lawyer, all this stuff. And for marriages, we're like, put a big heart on it, send it into the wind. I don't know. It's really, and I think it's okay. It doesn't have to mean that it's not romantic. It just means it is kind of a little bit of a business of your partnership, which is fascinating to me because I've read studies where they 
look at unmarried people who are in couples and they earn together less over time, even if they're committed. There is something about people in married partnerships where, I don't know, maybe it's the spirit of right off the bat. They're like, this is what we're doing. So, but in terms of financial like pay gaps, as someone who is probably erring on the side of like, I'm going to bring too many pastries to somebody's house. That's something that would never bother me if somebody worked hard, was passionate about what they do. But I do know it's also okay for other people to say, well, I want some sort of equity in this. I also think it's really important to think about what labor means, because as we Mm. all know, and I have so many friends that are like, well, I'm working less. I have kids now. Right. But the labor I do is wild. So not all labor looks like a paycheck. Well, I think part of what's going on right now, I don't know if there's a trend or if you're seeing a trend in some of the stories you've been hearing, that as people marry later in life, we're more possessive of our own assets. Mm -hmm. So when we do merge lives, it's like you want to protect what you accumulated before this person entered your life. So at least from what I've heard from some of my friends who are marrying later in life is they just keep everything super separate. They Venmo each other for bills. They don't buy together. They don't invest together, but they just kind of like physically live together. Have you seen anything along the lines of that? I have seen that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've also seen people just protecting the assets that they started with. Mm -hmm. So they begin to save together. But anything that carried with them before that, that is something they would keep to themselves. And There's no wrong way to do it as long as everybody's on board. I think, you know, especially, yeah, the older you get, the more you're like, that's my stuff. Yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) that's mine. (laughs) Yeah, and it's nothing against the other person. It's just that that's what you're coming in with. And not to gender this too much, but there is something really exciting about being, at least to me, a single woman who has bought yourself some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, throughout my 30s, this is Boston is expensive. I managed on this journalism salary, which I was lucky to have, but is also so not as much as some other people's salaries, right? Like, you know, lucky, but less, whatever, however you want to position it. Anything I could buy for myself, I was like, look what I did. Yeah. Look what I did. And so now I've, whether that be something financial, community, everything I built seemed to, especially in the early 2000s, 2010s, like as all of my friends were sending me wedding invitations and that was okay too, I was like, I'm doing this. And I was like, there were no hashtags at all then. But like, had there been a hashtag single lady, whatever, I'm sure I would have been in it at that point. But like, there's like a pride in that. So it's also, I think when you make it like me, I'm 45. And I'm like, not only do I have this stuff, it was so important to me that it was mine and that I made it happen. I also think then you say, okay, well, how do I share without right. losing all of that joy surrounding that, which is very possible. And again, for some of the people who couple up and say, we're going to keep things separate, they might have kids and feel differently at that point, because that's a whole other financial thing. Yeah, kids are a whole other story. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's interesting that you brought in the gender, which I totally agree with. And I also, UA and I have seen this a lot on the other side of, you know, hetero men feeling like they need to provide Mm -hmm. or like they haven't lost that traditional side almost. Or it's like, if I'm not doing this, like, what am I doing? I remember I had an ex that insisted on paying for stuff all the time well into our relationship. And it made me actually kind of like uncomfortable because it's like I knew he didn't have the money Mm -hmm. to be doing that yet was still doing it. And I would so much rather just like be on equal footing with someone because yeah, like I value that too of being like self-sufficient and equal partnership. What have you seen on the flip side? Like, is that something that you're hearing also of this kind of navigating the modern and traditional? Well, one thing that shocked me was that we have an episode coming up 
up about Gen Z and dating in the cost. Mm. And they're like two 20-something people who tell me their stories, straight woman, straight man. One is around Chicago, the other is around D.C. Both of them say nine out of ten times the man pays for the date. Still, yeah. Gen Zers. They're not representative of everyone. These are Gen Z people, and they're not every Gen Z person. I know that, but they do not know each other. That's shocking. And they were both like... Nope. You know, this is not always expected, but there is I was shocked to learn that this was like it was in my 20s where anytime I was like, no, 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 I got this or or let me split it. Both of them said they had never seen a woman just outright pay for a date with a man. Really? Like they'd either split it or the man would pay for it. But I said, have you ever had some woman be like, no, let me get it. And he was like, I don't even know what that is. Wow. <laughs> That's like I not feel like thing. when we've heard women do it, it's because they don't like the person, not because like on the first date, right? right? It's not because they're trying to be And generous. I have done it for that reason. And sorry to any men listening if I paid for your dinner. <laughs> At least you got that dinner. But that's, it wasn't even like a split. It was like, yeah. oh, let me just get yeah. this, right? And yeah. So I never have to see your face again. Right, right. Right. But it's not coming from a place of empowerment. It's coming from a place of, I mean, I guess it's empowerment in some way, but. I think it comes from a place, I mean, not to be too down about it, but it's like a safety yeah. thing also of like, no one will resent me mm. and be angry yeah. with me if I yeah. pay for this and at least they'll have that. Very true. And it was interesting because I asked, I wouldn't call him the young man. It <laughs> makes me sound like grandma. I asked the Gen Z man if his paying for a date meant that he wanted to see that person again. And he said, no, he said it just felt less awkward. Mm. And there was no real philosophy of like anything lining up. Both people said they, that part of 2020 where people were just taking a lot of walks, they were like, oh, we should go back to that. It was free. Yeah. Yeah. And it was nice. And people were really present. Especially for the first date. Yeah. Like just take a walk in a circle. It's fine. (laughs) So they were reminding themselves like summer is here, depending on where you live. Like, so that has surprised me. I think what I've seen is across the board, we're still figuring out that issue of labor. So we have an episode that I cannot wait for it to come out because it's a woman who is a freelance writer. Her husband got an MBA. He looks like a guy who is responsible with an MBA. I don't know what that looks like. He's very like, he's this wonderful, right? Okay. Like I'm just stereotyping here. So this guy's so nice. And she says, to me, sometimes a lot of the time I wish she made MBA money. I wish she made more money (laughs) because she's like, I wish I could work less in order to work on a book and whatever. And but here's the thing. Mm. He does most of the childcare that's daily. He does most of the house stuff. So they have that a really gender flipped in terms of traditional thinking. He's looking at her and saying, if I had these business jobs that paid that much more, I would not have the time or happiness to do all of these things and to support you emotionally. I mean, he is really doing the emotional labor in that household and she knows it. So really what she wants is to have her cake and eat it and for him to magically make a ton of money and do all those things. But that is a moment where it was so weirdly refreshing to hear this woman say, oh, right, right, right. He does all of these things that actually have a financial value that's just not as obvious. But I think we all have those problems, right? Like I have trouble knowing what I did any any given day because it's hard to know what is the thing I did Hmm. that was work. Mm -hmm. And so much of it might be an emotional conversation. There are so many ways to contribute. So that's what I would also say about the gaps in pay. It's like, well, what is work, right? And and who's offering what to the household? Yeah, That's a good point. I mean, we've definitely seen, I think it's shocking that in Gen Z, to yeah. be honest, in millennials, we've seen that people like 
logically get that we should split it, but still kind of holds that do the fake purse reach, still feel insulted, or maybe they discount the person if they do make them split. So it's like we've accepted it, but we don't want it. We're still holding on to that traditional side in a way. So I do a terrible thing that both friends and my boyfriend do not love, which is that I go to the bathroom, which I do frequently, so no one is going to guess anything. And while I'm going to the bathroom, when I leave, not while I'm actually in the bathroom, but when I leave the bathroom, I find the server. Mm -hmm. I give them my credit card and I say, don't let anybody pay for this. This, for some reason, makes me feel like James Bond. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel like a magical rich person. Even if I am like legit just racking up credit card debt, it is like the most fun thing to do for the check to come and it's like already paid for. And then everybody at the table is like, what? You already paid? And I'm like, that's right. I already paid. And like, I love it. But it drives people up the a little bit. But I think it's like such a fun thing to do if you can afford to do it. But on a date, yeah, like sometimes it's like, let me do this. It's like a surprise. But I I do understand why it's also like, well, this just took the agency away of anybody else wanting to contribute. It's tricky because what you're doing is putting people in their place. You're assigning roles and you are... It's a little power movie. It's a little... Right. You're like, I'm the giver now. I'm the caretaker. I'm the provider. And you all are the recipients. I own you now. (laughs) It's not okay. But the only time I will now allow myself to do it, I have one friend in particular who will not let me pay for anything. And it is wild. And it's not like she has that much more money than me. She has more money than me, but not that much more. But I will occasionally do it with her. But it is something that I see as chivalrous or romantic on my end. But generosity can be weird. Yeah. I would love to run a social experiment and have a woman do this in hetero dating for like 10 men and see how it's received. Because I feel like a lot of people would be like, not offended, but just like, what's going on? And there might be like one or two that would just be like, damn, that's cool. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, who do you want to be friends with? Or who do you want to date? That's kind of the ultimate barometer of whether this is okay or not in your book. Because I dated a guy who's borderline homeless and I paid for everything. I ended up fucking resenting him because he... Yeah. was not appreciative and just basically mooched off of me. I was a part-time actress in New York. I'm not like exactly raking in the dough here. And then I'm like, why did I even set the precedence for something like this of paying for everything? So that was a good test for me to say, like generosity has to go both ways. If the other person's just receiving, yeah. then I'm not okay with that. And it goes back into what you're talking about in a relationship too, Meredith, is the labor. Is that equivalent to some sort of monetary value? And ultimately in a relationship, what matters most or even in dating is are both people willing to contribute to this? Right. And what is that willingness measured in? Is it in monetary value? Is it in effort? Is it in planning? And I think it's good to ground ourselves in that because then both people want to contribute in some way. And I hate that we have to put dollar signs around it because you're right. There's so much of contribution in a relationship that you cannot buy with money. And I should say that I only played that trick on people I knew pretty well at that (laughs) point. I don't know that I would do it on a first date, but you're right. You know, it probably shows that I like to surprise people. It shows all of these different things that people can either not like or like after they get to know me for a while. But I do want to say something about millennials. Again, once I sound like grandma again, where I'm like, millennial people, I'm like, (laughs) as a young Gen Xer, one thing I found really jarring and this is with single friends, is that I even like to take friends out and have them take me out. Sometimes it just felt nice to do like a swap. And I remember the first time that I took a friend out to lunch, she was having a bad day. And then I saw a Venmo payment. Uh And Venmo was kind of new at the time. And I texted and was like, but I wanted to take you out. And so here was this new technology at the time that made it possible for any 
anyone to say, actually, I don't want to be taken out. And, you know, I could reject that money. But it was really interesting where nothing was final Mm -hmm. anymore, where you could continue that negotiation for better and worse. You know, I think, too, some of it is a learning curve. Mm -hmm. It's understanding the other person that you're with. And I think if it's different from day one, it doesn't mean that it's grounds to break up or to end this budding relationship. But it's an opportunity to see how you can work together. I know, like, with my partner, it's evolved a lot. At the beginning, I think we actually, like, split more because we were more independent. And now we kind of take turns a bit more. But we don't have one person that's, like, the dominant person in some way. So I think it's figuring out what's right for you, too. And maybe I'd love both of you to share. (laughs) But Meredith, like, from your perspective, like, how have you kind of navigated to figure out, like, what is right for you? Like, I know you said, like, I know I need to spend money on going out to dinner. It's like, that's a non-negotiable. Like, how did you even know that? Was it just your experience? Or how did you get there? I think it's just, well, one is not being good at cooking. So there's only (laughs) a few things left to do, right? I think because also I have been single for so long and was not in a steady relationship where there was a lot of home time, I was constantly going out with friends. And that was a community. Even if I went to their houses or they came to mine, we ordered takeout. So much of the pleasure I experienced was social time over food. It is also a family value. It is a, we're going to gather around and talk over appetizers, right? So I think I only knew that was the only way to be. And so it's more in having these conversations and saying, oh, you do this differently. Do you do this differently? But it is interesting. I think from the dating experience I have now, I'm seeing how important experiences can be too. Leaving the house, doing an activity, seeing something new together for the first time to build memories of something wildly different is not something I thought about. And that can be really cool too. And sometimes there's like a $0 price tag on that of like going to see pretty scenery that is gorgeous and that I never thought I would really think about. But I have a lot of indoorsy friends who are like me, but and I'm still indoorsy, but to drive somewhere and see something spectacular is a different kind of priority. And even making time for that is different. So I think that I used to approach it from a place of fear of like, don't make me do something I don't want to do. Don't make me not buy something I don't want to buy. Don't make me save for something I don't want or share something I don't want to share. Now I'm like, oh, well, sometimes I'm just like learning lessons about some other cool stuff I could do and buy Mm -hmm. and maybe own like two pans instead of one pan. (laughs) Like, you know, in my, there, there are all these things. It's not about what restrictions or judgments there might be, but also about like just other cool things that can happen with money. I am more likely now to approach it from not a place of fear, but of questions and interests, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like my spending habits have changed so much since being in this current relationship. He's definitely encouraged me to spend more money on myself, on self-care. I never used to get massages or get my hair did, you know, get my nails done. And he's like, you deserve it. You should spend, not that he's spending the money on me, but he's like, you should spend your own fucking money on yourself. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right. I need to treat myself. That's what I'm good at. But something that we do together with our separate money is investing together. And like, how do we make our money grow? And this stems from our upbringing. I grew up in an immigrant family who protected me from all the low points of our financial journey. My parents never, never exposed me to that. So I never knew how to make my money work for me. I just knew you just save and that's it. But he comes from an entrepreneurial family that always knew how to grow their money, make their money work for them. Mm. So that's something that I feel like where our values can align is I want to be more 
financially savvy and we're both learning together and like we've invested in some projects together. I like that. That's so much better than just like, oh, we're not a match because we don't come from the same. Right. And I think that's like how people stereotypically think about it. It's more about like, how can we evolve? And just because you're, you didn't have something or you didn't know something doesn't mean that defines you. It just might have been a stage of your life. Right. Yep. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, Neil is going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What about you, Julie? What about both of your financial upbringing? I think I've just started taking inventory of like where I spend money more. Mm -hmm. I'm like you. Like my partner and I both spend a lot on food experiences. And I think it's one of those things, though, that we do value. I think the conversations we're having, though, is like, okay, this is where we are at this stage. What about the next stage? How does that change? And I don't know if we necessarily know. It's kind of an evolving process together. But I think that's the part that is, at least where I've been going, is like it's never like a one and done. I think I bring certain values. I'm a saver through and through. But he also has like kind of been helping me be like, oh, maybe you could be like a little more risk tolerant Mm. here to like make your money grow more. So yeah, I think similar in the sense of the lifestyle. I think Meredith, that whole part has been so fascinating to me of like what you spend and like what that actually means to you. And I don't think I've necessarily analyzed it as much as maybe now even. Yeah, it's weird when you have a witness. Like my friends have always witnessed what I spend, (laughs) I guess. But when somebody newer is like just there, even without passing judgment, you're like, oh yeah, I buy a lot of Skittles every month. (laughs) There are bags of Skittles all over my house. Like, is that weird? I don't know. But now I do think about it. And it's like a new way to learn about your own priorities. And I wish it wasn't so scary. But for so many people, it is. And and one thing I have learned from this season of the podcast is where I have seen shame, it is because of wealth. Mm. People seem to put their head down and be embarrassed about having it easy. And that I wish was not shameful either. And these are not billionaire people I'm talking to. They're people who just maybe didn't have student loans or maybe are doing okay. So that's something that I find really interesting too. I think like the go-to question I feel like people think of like with love and dating and love and relationships is how much do they earn? Like that's always like what people say, but clearly we've gone so much deeper here. And I personally think it's even more, if you're going to go down that one path, that's more about potential, like earning potential than just like how much they earned at a specific job, because that job could be gone tomorrow also. What else like would you advise like after studying this for people to look at when they're trying to see if someone could align financially with them in the early stages of dating. So here's what I now ask myself. 
which I think other people should ask. And this is based on interviews for this season. I would say if I had all the money in the world and this other person had all the money in the world, what would their life look like? Mm. Because what I have seen with these couples that I've talked to when, when people are coupled in pairs, it's not really the money that's the issue. It is the value. Mm. Like if they had all the money in the world, one of them would travel, the other one wouldn't. Mm. If they had all the money in the world, one would still be working 24 hours a day and the other would retire. That if money were no object, would you remotely want the same things uh, on a Monday and on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday? That's a great so, question. That's what I would ask because it's a great starting point of like, what are we working towards as humans, right? If you're just trying to retire at the youngest age possible to have free time, that might not match with somebody who loves their work. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it would, I don't know. But I think there's so much talk about you make this and I make this and I have this student loan and you have this, but like, how do we want to spend a given day? So that's the first question I'd ask. Money's no object. Where are you living? What does it look like? Mm. How much are you traveling? What do you do? And you're going to get some big answers. That's a great one. I love that. That's such a great question because we can be so short-sighted with money. How much are you saving? How much are you spending? Mm -hmm. But this is kind of the bigger picture because we're not taking money when we die. So what are what right. are you spending the money for? What is this lifestyle that you're craving? That's a great question. How early do you think we should be having these conversations when dating? Early. <laughs> Listen, it's hard to answer these questions if you're 22 because you might not know the That's answers. Right. Right. And the answers could change radically. I think the way I would answer some of these questions at 28, at 28, I was like, I just can't afford another bridesmaid dress. Like, I'm just so, <laughs> I, it's so funny because I'm a bridesmaid in a few weeks. I am going to be a 45-year-old bridesmaid, and I'm pretty excited about it. And I could not be happier to buy this dress, to fly to the wedding. This is like the coolest thing ever, because I haven't done it in a while. Yeah. If you had asked me then, I would have been like, I'm just trying to stop hemorrhaging money from other people's celebrations. So I wouldn't have even been able to think into leisure time and meals. And I was just, now the answers are different. I think as you get older, they get a little bit more stable, the answers, because you know yourself that much more. So, And some people, though, by the way, are also, can't answer those questions early. They know they want to become They know they want to live a certain kind of way. So I think it's worth, no matter the age, asking, getting answers, and then thinking about how flexible you're going to be. Maybe not like the first like hour of a first date, but like, (laughs) you know, even in the choice of venue for a first date, Mm -hmm. I think it can be really telling. Like we have one person on the podcast who had a first date at, is it Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian Mm -hmm. barbecue restaurant? Oh, yeah. They keep bringing you the meat. And she was like panicked because she knew it was going to be like $80 a pop or whatever. And they were just going to like keep bringing the meat. And it was, and she's young and doesn't have money. And she was like, who picks that? Who picks that? And I'm like, well, somebody who is not thinking much about being able to afford it. That's who picks that. I had a date once that this was when I was doing a startup. I wasn't making a lot of money. And I remember the date, him not picking up the check when it came. And we went to this like restaurant that was, you know, probably like a hundred a person. But back then, like, well, first of all, I think for someone that you're not even interested in, that's even now that's I would lot. say that's a lot. I don't want to be spending it's a lot when we weren't even vibing at all. It was like a terrible date. No. But even I was just like floored because I'm like, this guy does not know my financial situation at all. And then sat there either expecting me to pick it up or splitting it. Like I think that is so important to think about when you're picking the date is how do you do a date that is minimal? Because at least the first date till you know this information. And when do you talk about it? I think it depends what you're asking, like for what Meredith brought up about if money was no object. I feel like that's like an easy yeah, first date question because you're not really probing, right? You're not getting into no, anyone's you're not like, personal you're not, How much stuff. are you making? 
Right. I think like asking for a dollar amount, I think people are very secretive mm-hmm. about how much they make. Like we don't even talk about it with our friends a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I think personally for that one, it's a little further down the road. I think you can generally get a feel of how much they make given a lot of technology and tools like Glassdoor and some of the websites out there that you a lot of times can search for salaries of industries or occupations. I think asking flat out is probably in my opinion, at least past being in a committed relationship. If someone asked me that on a date, I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) I would too. And also, it's such a small snapshot of the whole picture because these days it's like... Do you have debt? Do yeah. you have student debt? Yeah. Do you own property? Do you have a car payment? Do you you could make $200,000 a year and take home nothing after all of your expenses. Correct. So salary is like yeah. one piece of it. You can make 30 grand and make it stretch, yep. I'm sure. Yeah. So, well, what's really hard, though, is like dating, right? These aren't things that you do need to find out about a partner is their debt and all this stuff. But you're never going to ask that on a date no. in early stage dating. It's just a social faux pas, right? You just can't do it. It's an interesting aspect because I really don't know how you get around that until you're in something a little more defined and committed. Like, I can't imagine asking someone their yeah, debt. Yeah, workarounds. Okay, what's yeah. a workaround then? Because I can't imagine being like, what type of debt do you <laughs> have on like date two? <laughs> Well, not dead, but I I might ask, like, what is the wildest thing you've ever bought? What is the trip you're most looking forward Mm. to? What is the most, you know, what do you consider like a treat to yourself? These questions that are sort of more about what has brought you joy that you have purchased or what you're saving for. I mean, for some people, if you'd asked me what I was saving for a few years ago, I would have been like saving, (laughs) saving. Yes, that (laughs) saving would be, I think there are ways around it. And then you're getting really the answers you want. Again, the spreadsheet is going to give you very little in the beginning. I think it's better to be like, oh, did these answers make sense? sense. You know, and people give away these things all the time. They can say, oh, my family summers on Martha's Vineyard every year. That tells you something, right? You know these things, right? If they don't, that there's a lot we can learn just by what we talk about. It's good to know the information, but clearly like what we're talking about too, there's labor aspects, there's emotional support, there's other things that you're getting from a relationship that's not just money. So it's how do you kind of look at the bigger picture too? Because I wouldn't want people to be like, my takeaway is like, I should ask these questions that'd be like, never mind if they don't answer the way I want. One number doesn't stand for everything. And I know a lot of people, especially during COVID, were doing that New York Times list of questions to fall in love with someone Mm -hmm. that had been written about years ago. More out of boredom, I think, than anything else. (laughs) And some of those questions accidentally might tell you what someone has bought, what they prioritize. There are a lot of like books like that designed to sort of, you know, they're like spiritual questions that actually are like, uh, do you like nice cars? So, you know, listen, they're not the worst things. They're not necessarily going to bring you love, but some of these probing questions can reveal a lot without asking for numbers. I think like the biggest takeaway I've had for this whole conversation is just how intertwined money is with dating, relationships, love. I think we tend to think of it like love and money as two separate things. But what I'm hearing from you is it shows up in every facet of this, like from Mm -hmm. what you do together, what you value, like all of this is coming through that's beyond just the typical things we think about 
about like who pays for a date or, you know, how much we have in savings. So I think that was a major aha moment for me with this conversation. The other takeaway I had too was, you know, like how can we start to have conversations that feel less scary? I think what you were saying too about the prenup and how can that be romantic? Like, how do we spin it? Like UA, you were saying about like how you two are now investing together. It's a positive instead of being like, oh, wait, you didn't invest. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, deal breaker, red flag, I'm out. We need to change like the language that we're using because a lot of it does come from our background as we discuss. Like some of it just might be how we were raised and how we were brought up. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that defines us. It just might be what we currently know. And maybe being in a relationship with someone that knows a different way could actually be a value add instead of a reason to break it off. And I think there's something very romantic about just saying talking about money is going to make you feel safe and me safe. And that is showing you love that I want us both to be okay with where we are. Yeah. The follow up question to all of this is like, what do you want to improve in your financial literacy? I think that would be something I would want to be asked on a date. Like you're saying, Julie, there's current state of where we are, but there's also this other Mm -hmm. level that many people want to unlock. I want to improve how I save, how I invest, how I look at money. And those are discussions that two people can have together because, you know, two heads is better than one in that situation. And to your point about self-care and a massage, (laughs) you know, my financial advisor guy, he said one of his biggest challenges, getting rich people to spend their money now. Uh. There's this big thing about accruing and leaving and whatever and but enjoy this and enjoying it can mean gifting it while you are alive it can mean getting a massage it can mean traveling so part of that literacy i think is also using it for life in a good way i love that that's so great The bottom line of this conversation is really values. Our money reflects our values, and that's the ultimate conversation to be having. Taking inventory of where you spend your money, how you spend your money, who you spend your money on is very telling of your values and also of your potential partner in dating. What is so scary is we tend to tie financial wealth to our own validation of who we are, like our own value. So we feel like, oh, if I make a certain amount, then other people will see me in a certain way. And I think we just have to start disconnecting that thought and just know that finances are way more than just a number and it does not show someone's value. It's not just one dimensional value in all of it. And that's why we need to have the conversations because it's not a reflection of who we are as a whole. So I'm glad we're having this conversation now. I'm glad we're open to having this conversation. We love to hear from our listeners if you've had a breakthrough in your financial conversations with a potential partner or maybe on a first or second date. Those are (laughs) kind of the the best ones that we want to hear about because how did you break the mold of talking about finances? Any other last takeaways or advice for our listeners when it comes to finances? Again, One lesson I think would just be that the good news is we're all scared to talk about it a little bit. So I think you're never going to go into a situation where the other person is like, why are you having trouble with this? Like, we're all just sort of holding each other's hands and being like, am I doing it right? And that there's something calming in that. Yes. Fabulous. 
Well, thank you so much, Meredith, for being with thank us. Thank you for today. having me. This was such a great conversation. I'm going to go return a bunch of bridesmaids' dresses and try to get my <laughs> money back for all the ones that didn't fit. Yeah. You know what? There should be a buyback program where the bride buides back your bridesmaids' dresses. <laughs> yep. Yep. I love they're always like, you'll wear it again. It's like, no, no. I won't. No, I won't. No, I've never. I just donated a whole bunch the it's other okay. day. I'm like, never going to wear these again. What an industry. <laughs> it's such a scam. Such a scam. But you know what's not a scam? Dateable is not a scam. Love letters is not a scam. And if you like to prove that we're not a scam, (laughs) please go on Apple Podcasts and give both of us five star reviews. And in your review, you can just put five dollar signs. You don't have to say anything else. It'll be our inside joke. Just five dollar signs. That's all we need to see. We'll know exactly what you're trying to tell us is that you love us and we love you. That's it. Simple. Short. It's sweet. Perfect. <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. Stay dateable.